Good morning. It's Tuesday, September 8th, 2015. This is Tech Talk Today, episode 210 somehow. And my name is Chris, and I don't know if I've showered in the last three days. <laughs> I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. Let me say time-appropriate greetings to our mumble room. Time appropriate, mumbles. Hello. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey, guys. So, uh, yeah, I uh, I picked up uh, the new G- JB Mobile rig. Good morning. Um, good morning. <laughs> Very, well, you know, just doing a show. Uh, I picked up a, a rig uh, Friday morning. And uh, for the JB Mobile, and uh, basically never left it. I stayed in there. I brought it back to the studio Friday during while the while the Paige and Angela were in here recording Women's Tech Radio. I was loading the trailer up, recorded the Linux Action Show, and then got in the trailer and left, <laughs> and uh, made it back today uh, about uh, twenty minutes before Tech Talk started. So uh, because uh, you know I wanted to start road testing the trailer, and I, I go figure. Day one was a crazy day in Washington. Thunder and lightning, massive lightning strikes. I counted five clear-as-day lightning strikes as I was driving down the freeway. I was like, okay, that's pretty intense. And then it just starts raining, like, you know, the kind of raining where you have the, blank, the wipers on maximum, which you never use, but I got them on maximum. And I'm like, okay, so now I'm, now I'm learning what it's like to drive in a crazy rainstorm with a trailer for my second time driving ever just after the Linux Action Show. And then this was, let's see, what day was this? This was September 4th, 2015 in Washington State. It starts snowing on me. It starts snowing. Like the road immediately is covered with snow. And, of course, I'm in the slow lane, which nobody else is in. And it, it, the whole lane is white. And I'm like, is this really happening? Is this, is this seriously the second time I've ever pulled a trailer and now I'm driving in the snow in, in September? Is this really happening? And so I drove through the snow for about 10 minutes and uh, <laughs> then I drove through the storm and it was fine. And I got a, I got really lucky that this weekend on Sunday I called up um, I boondocked, which is a, a, which I have I have learned is a term for another a term for dry camping or completely camping off the grid where you don't hook up your trailer to anything. I'm not going to say where I boondocked. I don't know the, the total legality of it, but there's locations you can find, and you know, urban. It's basically urban camping. You go find a nice, quiet, dark parking lot and camp. And so I just, I needed to test a few things, you know, find out if there was leaks in the trailer, find out if the water system really works, you know, because we did it all in inspection and testing, but I really got to try it. And so we get out there, we, we boondocked for a couple of days, and then I decided, okay, well, I could go find a place to park the trailer, or I, it come, my trailer comes with this, uh, with this Thousand Trails membership thing. I have no idea what it is. And I was going to explain to you what it is, but they have this adorably dorky video that I just thought I'd play a moment for you, because uh, it's, it's pretty great. And then I'll, I'll continue my story. A thousand trails, oh. a thousand sunsets, a thousand steps, up to that summit, a thousand things. You haven't done yet Just waiting on you to get out the door A thousand fish You could be hooking A thousand s'mores You could be cooking Okay Forget the chores Okay You should be booking Oh yeah <laughs> Because it's time you found what you've been oh. looking for Alright, so anyways, it is a, it's actually a pretty decent, it's a, it's a, it's a campgrounds It's a, it's a, they've been around for about 40 years And they got a whole bunch of different campgrounds um, all around the U.S. And, uh, you know, when you become a member, you get access to these campgrounds. And um, <laughs> as part of my trailer sale, I got access to these campgrounds for free. So I thought, okay, well, I'll go, I'll go try staying. So I went to, um, I went to a place called uh, uh, Le Conner, uh, which is right on the water here in, uh, in Washington. And uh, they, I went there Labor Day weekend. 
on a Sunday, thinking there was no way in hell I was going to get in on, on Labor Day weekend. But it turned out they had spots available with hookups, which uh, one, now I know that's what you really want is the hookups because then you're living like a king. You get free water and power. And uh, so I stayed there over the weekend with a, an amazing view, right off, just an incredible view of the water right from the trailer and really just have been enjoying that. So I got down here just a little, a few minutes ago and uh, the signal, cell signal is not so strong up there. So I wasn't able to do a ton of work, but I actually was able to tether a bit. And, uh, you know, basically I did today's prep from the trailer, which is pretty cool. So that was a fun weekend and I, I think we're going to be – the fundamentals of operating the trailer we're going to be totally squared away on. Now I am getting. Now I need to move the broadcast equipment in there and actually try doing a show from the trailer before I hit the road. That's going to be my next kind of like, uh, you know, my next thing I have to check off my list. So there you go. That was my morning. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, thanks for asking in the chat room this morning. So let's talk about something that I thought was pretty cool. Today is really, um, <clears throat> you know, when there's like when there's going to be, what is it? Like, I don't know. When, when you're just going to get slammed with news, you're sort of like the, the air gets sucked out of the room for a lot of these companies before an Apple event. Um, it's just there's not a – you don't really want to be the person to announce a product the day before an Apple event or the day of unless you have something that's really going to zing them. And then because it's such a contrast, it will generate headlines. But for the most part, uh, you don't want to do something too massive before an Apple event because you're not going to get any coverage because tomorrow the only thing people are going to be talking about is the new iPhone and its Force Touch. So today, I thought we'd talk about something that's kind of interesting because it probably, because of that very reason, won't get a lot of attention, but it caught mine. And that is uh, Raspberry Pi, the folks from Raspberry Pi have an official 7-inch touchscreen that's going on sale for the Raspberry Pi for $60. And it's pretty neat. It looks about the size of a 7-inch tablet, and they've launched an all-new piece of hardware today, the official Raspberry Touch display. It's going to be $60, uh, if in, obviously, in U.S., uh, and today's launch comes almost a year after the first release of the device, though the initial uh, estimation suggests it would arrive a year or, or early. Um, the 7-inch unit sports an 800 by 40 display. It's designed to work in conjunction with a $35 Raspberry Pi mini computer and essentially lets users build their own tablets or other display. To, you mean this thing really could be a whole display. And you can, if you're watching the video version, you can see it has the, uh, um, the GPIO port connector. I forget how many pins that is, but uh connects to the... Uh, says here, it says users connect their Pi display through the... Who is that? Cadair, Cadair over there. I don't want to hear your keyboard. I don't want to hear that. Come on now. Uh, it says it's powered from the uh, Pi's GPIO port uh, while a ribbon cable connects to a DSi port. Okay. They say the touchscreen drivers will be rolled out with an update to the Raspbian operating system, enabling 10-finger multi-touch on the, and, with the, and an on-screen keyboard. Hmm. Anybody in the mumble room considering picking this up for 60 bucks? Make a Raspberry Pi basically a complete computer now. It's kind of neat. And you see uh, in the <clears throat> in the picture here, they're showing people that are mounting it to the back of the display and then using little acrylic stands for the display. Come on now, guys. That's pretty neat if you've got a Raspberry Pi. Can it run iOS 9? <laughs> uh, no. No, it does not. It does not run OS. Okay, good. Good. All right. Yes, moving on. It is. That's right. It is Apple Week. It is Apple Week. Yes, yes. Um. All right. Oh, I should say I don't actually um, – I would normally try to cover the Apple event live, you know, because I think it's going to be pretty much nor- during our our normal live time. However, I'm going to be taking care of other trailer issues tomorrow morning and uh, actually there won't be – got to update the unfilter too because that's going to go into the evening. We're going to have to remove unfilters record time. Uh, so, okay, let's talk more about schedule towards event. Let's not get off track. So uh, this is interesting. Uh, you guys know that uh, a big part of self-driving cars is LiDAR. 
And uh, LiDAR sort of is used as the eyesight for the vehicle. And it's a really cool way because the ki- that way the car can see in 360 degrees, right? Well, hmm. <laughs> it turns out the LiDAR systems used in most self-driving cars rely on uh, this sort of sense system to, t- to ter- determine where these obstacles are. Well, if you got about $60, <laughs> instead of getting that Raspberry Pi touchscreen, Set yourself up with a Raspberry Pi and a Linux distro and take advantage of the LiDAR system. Here's something from the researcher. This is a quote by a security researcher. He says, I can take echoes of a fake car and put them in any location I want. This is Jonathan Parrott. Uh, He's the principal scientist at Security Innovation, which is a uh, software security company. He says, and I can do the same with a pedestrian or a wall and make the car think there's something there to make it go berserk. Ultimately, such a system attackers could trick a self-driving car into thinking something is directly ahead of it, thus forcing it to slow down. Or they could even overwhelm it with so many extra signals that the car would not move along or fear of hitting some phantom obstacles. Guys, does this sound like an automated car denial of service attack essentially to you? That's what it sounds like to me. (laughs) What I'm afraid of is the opposite. I mean, people that are walking around and then they disappear for the car. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's probably what they've been mostly focused on so much so that maybe they haven't really considered uh, fake echo objects. Uh, they say uh, the vulnerabilities of autonomous vehicles, and uh, they say they've quickly settled on the sensors. They say this is a key point where the input starts. If the self-driving car has poor inputs, it will make poor driving decisions. Isn't that interesting? The LiDAR system is, is, is imically mimicked. It uses pulsive laser light, and they built up a 3D picture of a car's surroundings. What? They said they began recording pulses from commercial uh, IBLO Lux LiDAR units. The pulses were not encoded or encrypted, which allowed him to simply replay them at a later point. Ah. <laughs> ah. And that was able to create the illusion of a fake car or a wall or a pedestrian. Interesting. That's really Interesting. They say the sensor techs are not just limited to robotic drivers, of course. The same laser pointer and uh, could be used to carry out equally devastating denial-of-service attack on a human motorist by simply dazing her or without the need for a sophisticated laser. Well, that's true. That's true. You could just shine lights in somebody's face. <laughs> that is a good point. I guess, that is, I guess humans are fairly, uh, fairly, fairly vulnerable to sensory input as well. Uh, yeah. All right. And then if any of you have uh, a Seagate NAS, I wanted to get this story out because, again, this is going to get buried after tomorrow. <clears throat> But there is a firmware patch for a backdoor discovered in Seagate devices, and an undocumented, hmm, an undocumented telnet feature could be used to gain control of the device by using the username root and a hard-coded def- and a hard-coded default password in all of the Seagate NASs. What? Uh, the security issues are confirmed to exist with firmware versions 2.2.005 and 2.3.014. The problems were discovered back in March, but a patch was recently published along with an advisory to U.S. CERT. So there you go, uh, an undocumented Telnet access. Uh, so uh, Tangible Security says that Seagate Wireless Plus mobile storage, Seagate Wireless mobile storage, and let's see, fuel drives are affected, but there are likely others as well that they just haven't tested yet. Nice, very nice. And then, of course, when you get into something like this, that is a great point. If you can get into somebody's NAS as a root, ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. All right. So yeah. why is Telnet still a thing after all <laughs> these years? And why did it appear to get turned back on in some of the updates? Isn't that a weird uh, – it's got to be what? What could the rationale be? What could that be? I seriously do not have to manage SSH keys maybe. I just – I honestly cannot fathom in 2015, even a device that was made say in 2010. Let's say the device was made in 2010. But none of these like the, these NAS devices and these, these Lacy fuel drives, these are current products. 
But even if they were made a long time ago, I can't, I can't fathom it. Is it all. possible they accidentally shipped a debug configuration where they use Telnet for debugging internally? <clears throat> yeah, and that seems like the most likely answer and the most innocent one. And the only reason that's not my default anymore is because I have covered so many of these stories. And specifically with these types of devices, routers and NASs, over and over and over again, entire product categories. Uh, uh, and I just can't – I just at – that, at that point, I mean it's, it's basically almost every – I mean I just can't – it's almost every couple of months there's a story like this. It doesn't seem accidental at that point because it's been going on now for a couple of years. It seems like manufacturers are like, boy, we should really put this on the checklist here, Bob. But they're not doing that. So yeah, it's probably just a mistake. But it's a damn weird one. And I, I but even even being a mistake, why use Telnet even in debugging? It's really really. I mean, there's so many other ways to do that. Well, as much as this might be a new device, how old is the firmware? Because if they've been just rehashing the same sure. thing over and over again, it could just be an old, old, old mm-hmm. code they just brought forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's very possible. What about blasters theory? Got to catch those terrorists, so we need backdoors and everything. But no one will be able to figure it out. <laughs> no one's ever going to figure out Telenet is rude. What if it is like? What if? What if it's like a? Uh, hello, uh, Mr. Seagate. Uh, look, uh, the United States of America is a very important nation, and she is under attack. And the homeland needs your help. We need to be able to find terrorists that are using your devices. We went to Osama bin Laden's compound, and they had a NAS drive, and we couldn't get backdoor access. Now, look, if you could do us a favor and you could update this so that we just give us something, we won't tell anybody. You just give us something we can use in a pinch, because. Every minute counts in a national emergency. And listen, we need to save lives. And if we have to go through the court process, that's going to take 24 hours, and that's going to cost lives. So all you have to do is create some sort of backdoor that we can rely on so that way we can save lives. And if you can do that for us and tell us how to get to that, we're going to have an agreement here. And then, you know, maybe that's how it works. Maybe they, uh, they discuss it. It seems very rational, something simple. And, you know... To us, this seems like such an obvious, dumb thing to do. But if you went, walked up to the average consumer who's buying that NAS at Best Buy, they'd have no freaking idea what Telnet is. They have no freaking idea what root access is or even remote login, right? I mean, seriously, we, we, we come at this, we come at this with such a luxury of understanding that we fail to understand how far beyond even conception it is to the people that are buying these devices that such a thing even exists, let alone they'll never even hear about it, let alone ever actually install the update. Right. We are less than one percent. It is it is it is a tiny, 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 tiny minority of the people even understand what Telnet is and what root login is. And so the people that are buying these things are never going to know any depth any better. So, you know what, Netgear, you know, oh, geez, it was something we were doing in Q&A. Look at us. We do Q&A. Isn't that great? But we made a mistake. Sorry about that. But, hey, we do Q&A and we were doing debug testing. Isn't that good? Sorry about that. And now, you know, now we'll fix it. And then, then maybe it's just something else that gets turned on next time. Maybe it's that, or maybe it's just an honest mistake. You know, we never really get to know. We never really know. And, of course, the, the, more, the more closed and proprietary these systems are, the less insight we have. So speaking of closed and proprietary, and I've been teasing it all episode, let's talk about the iPad Pro. So um, rumors around the iPhone 6 and 6S, that seems pretty locked in and pretty solid, pretty obvious what we're going to get there. But I think the one thing that's ripe for speculation and picking and uh, rampant, uh, rampant, uneducated guesses is the iPad Pro. Um, there's a lot of heat and smoke around this new big monster iPad with a 12.9-inch screen, uh, full LTE models, uh, running dual apps side-by-side on the iPad device. So uh, Mark Gurman over at 9to5Mac says it's going to be a monster screen, full-side apps, LTE, keyboard, all that stuff. They're going to do a new redesigned professional metal keyboard. 
It might even have up a $1,000 price tag for the high, high-end one, he says. It's going to have a larger screen, 12.9-inch display, truly pro capabilities, they say. It's going to have an A9X chip uh, with, a, with, I think, perhaps, they say, four cores. And I, I, I am extremely skeptical this is going to ship tomorrow. I don't really – so what do you guys think? Do you think there's going to be an iPad Pro and do you think it's going to ship tomorrow, Mumble Room? Or, or be announced tomorrow, not necessarily ship, but be announced tomorrow? Nobody? Any takers? Nobody has any you – know, nobody wants to go on record the day before and uh, try to make a guess because, I mean, Maybe it's not – this is like an answer for them not selling any iPads. Oh, that – yeah, definitely, right? Definitely. Yeah, that's what they would be doing this. I agree. Trying to restart the iPad demand, right? I'm not seeing this happening, I really. I mean, the iPads, uh, the, the whole iOS and enterprise thing is not really taking off. I mean, they have some uh, deals with, 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 with Cisco and IBM, but I, I mean, it, it's hugely more successful than Android is uh, by any means. By, but it's, it's not replacing the desktop. I, I'm not seeing this as a home device either. It's just too big. Really? Hmm, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, I would be surprised. I'm going to go down the skeptical camp too because I would be surprised. It's not really Apple's style to share the stage with the iPhone much unless it plays in significantly with the iPhone, like the watch. Otherwise, they would prefer generally to give the iPad its own event, a smaller event, more focused on the iPad about it's what it's going to do for you, about what these new features are. And they usually do it in October. They don't usually do it at the same time as the iPhone. They have in the past, but they don't generally. They generally like to do like, I w- OK, I would not be surprised if we saw iPhone and an Apple TV update tomorrow because they but only if the Apple TV has some sort of significant tie in with iPhone. Otherwise, it's, you know, they're going to give the, the world's largest smartphone or the most famous product out there, they're going to give it its own stage. I just don't really see them wanting to share that attention. That's not how they work. Uh, and plus, they'd want to give the iPad its own attention. Then again, who knows? Maybe because it's declined in sales so much, they don't feel like it, it needs that and they feel they'll fit it into the, to the, to the presentation. And they have everybody's attention there. So if you got all the press there, might as well show them something else neat, especially if the iPhone 6S is not going to be all that surprising. So I don't know. I, I, to me... When you're starting to go this size, when you're starting to go the 12.9 inch, now you're starting to now you're really starting to compete with Chromebooks, the MacBook uh, One port, um, um, the Surface Pro for sure. This is, that's a different game for Apple, and uh, I'm not so sure the iOS itself is up for the task. I'm sure the hardware could do it. I bet Apple. I bet the A8X or what A9X or whatever the hell it's going to be is going to be one of the best ARM processors on the market for a while. I don't have any doubts about that. What I have doubts about the fact is there's no file system on iOS. It's extremely frustrating to move data from one application to another. It's extremely frustrating to work on a file in one application and close it and then try to open up that same file in another application, especially if you don't want to use iCloud Drive. I don't want to upload and download my file every time I launch it in another application. And just doing basic data sharing back and forth is an essential part of business operations. And the iPad and the iOS are just not matched. The iPad has very little input and very little options for connectivity. It has one lightning port. USB would be very nice. Access to a thumb drive would be very nice for presentations in a business setting for meetings. It's often how files are exchanged. AirDrop is not enough because it relies on an entire Apple and iOS ecosystem, which is just not the case in the enterprise. And there's no easy way to hook up an iPad to a projector without getting a super expensive setup or getting an Apple TV and then using some sort of like air, air, air video. And nobody really even knows how that works most of the time unless they've done it a dozen times. Whereas with the Windows device, it's just going to have a DVI port or a VGA port and it's going to work. And these are the things that Apple's really up against. And unfortunately, they're just, it's not in Apple's DNA to put a VGA port 
on a tablet, and it's not in their DNA to make it easy to sideload applications in iOS, which is a fundamental requirement of businesses. So that's really, I don't think it really matters much what they do with the hardware. Sure, maybe a few people want a larger screen, but the fundamental challenges of what makes it hard to use iOS in business aren't going away. It's not the, it's not the hardware. It's the operating system. And Android's not much better off. Ironically, Windows isn't great, but it's what they're used to. And it's the model that they've gotten to work for them for a long time. So I think in this particular area, their biggest competitor is the Surface Pro. And I think the Surface Pro has a home turf advantage already. And it's probably better for those particular types of tasks when you're in the business. And you're going to super boring meetings and watching super boring presentations, which sounds like a horrible place to work. That's my thought. <laughs> so we'll see if they actually announce it tomorrow. I guess I'll be watching the news. I'm going to be itching because I'll be wanting to sit here and, and cover it uh, and, and uh, share my thoughts. I just uh, I don't think it's going to work. If it does work, if somehow like if something falls through, I'll come here and do it. But if that happens, I'll tweet. So uh, any closing thoughts on the iPad stuff, guys, before we move on to the Minecraft project? Actually, I think you nailed it. And what I wanted to add to that is that uh, if the iPad Pro was really happening, then that wouldn't explain the greatly underpowered Mac MacBook uh, thing with the USB-C. Right, right. The MacBook Um, 1 almost suggests the iPad Pro isn't happening, doesn't it? Exactly, and and once you get to a certain size, Apple reasons you need a keyboard, um, and it, it makes sense, I think. And the whole iPad Pro thing has been an urban myth for the last uh, five years now, since the iPad exists. Uh, so it's, I don't see it happening. I wonder if I could see it. I wonder if I would be more interested in a larger screen tablet. I'd be willing to to try it. I mean, I mean, not buy it, but I'd be willing to go to like into the store and try it and see if it's. You know, if the two apps side by side, like if I could have Telegram and a web browser up on a tablet, that might be all I actually really need when I'm sitting around the house or something. But again, you know, I'm not going to pay $800, $900 for that luxury. That's Apple's problem. And I'm just never going to do that. I'll wait, for, I'll wait for the Nexus device in two years that's half as good and buy that. All right. So I wanted to talk about the Minecraft project because I think this is super cool. You guys might be familiar with this. It was a Kickstarter campaign we've talked about across a couple of shows. They've reached their funding goal, their core funding goal. I actually would like to see them go a little bit further because they're developing the Minecraft AI, which empowers their device, which is a lot like an Amazon Echo, um, but, you know, uh, with some open code behind it and specifically the AI itself. And if they get to their next funding milestone, they're going to release the AI for the Linux desktop. And so uh, they've reached their first funding milestone. And so I wanted to celebrate by playing uh, their video. Hey, guys, we made it. Cue the confetti. (laughs) We funded. And now... It's up to everybody out there to share as much as possible, to get the news out. It's time for us to try and hit our stretch goal. Our first goal, stretch goal we're working on is to get Mycroft on the Linux desktop. And we need to get to 125,000 to do that. And we're a little bit, we're, we're getting there. We're at 106,000 right now. We, and we raised $6,000 today. We've got two days left. So if we can get everybody on board, we get you sharing, get you talking to your friends and family, get you uh, t- pledging if you can, uh, then, then I think that the stretch goal is within reach. If we really bang it out of the par- park, we might be able to hit that 150,000 stretch goal uh, for the camera module. So uh, thank you so much for funding us at this point. We're so happy we're starting to get new developers on the project. We're starting to, to put a, a, a team together to carry this 
it, uh, from its alpha stage that it's at now to something that we can really get out there and, and demo and get, get all over the internet um, and, and show off. Um, but we're, we're hoping that during these last two days, you guys will uh, su support us as you, as you have and continue to support us and get us, uh, get us to our stretch goals. That would be awesome. So thank you so much for backing, and we will talk to you again soon. <laughs> there you go. So let's go see where they're at right now. So you can go to mycroft.ai slash kickstarter. Or I probably just heard from Minecraft on Kickstarter too. So they're at 110 right now. They're at 110. I think they get to 125 for the AI to get uh, open sourced. That's pretty cool, though. Oh, I'm I'm happy for them. It's based on a Raspberry Pi too. I'm really glad at least the hardware is going to ship. So that's really neat. This is probably our our obvious Kickstarter of the week, I suppose. So there you go. Very very cool. I'm happy for them. And uh, well, only two days to go, though. Yeah. They, you think they'll they make it to? Uh, you think they'll make it to? They're at 110 right now. You think they're going to make it to they, 125? Maybe, maybe. Oof, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Okay, all right. So let's talk about the schedule a little bit. So I, um, I'm thinking the next tech talk is going to be on Friday. I might just go to two a week for a while because that way I'm not sitting here feeling super, super guilty every day that I can't make a show and killing, beating myself up over it. And if I just say we'll do two a, sh two a week, then I won't feel like crap when I, uh, when I don't make it. So I think the next one's going to be on Friday. Now there's uh, no tech snap this. Um, this Thursday because we pre-recorded, but there is going to be a faux show, hopefully, on Thursday. So we'll have a live uh, faux show on Thursday. So that's a little change up in the schedule. And uh, and uh, Unfilter is going to be moving. I don't know when. I don't know when because if we're doing this on Friday morning, I'll figure that out. I'll have to uh, – I'll, I'll, that, that will be maybe Friday as well, but maybe Thursday. I'm not quite sure. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll update you. So Wednesday, I'm uh, taking care of a few more things with the trailer for the roadshow. And then because, and then, uh, because the week after that is uh, our last week in town, we're leaving the 19th. So, I, oh man, I have a lot of things to still take care of before we do that. Um, including some equipment stuff. So, but, uh, thank you to everybody who grabbed something off the th uh, wish list. I really super appreciate it. And it's been working out really well. So I've got a TV intro I want to leave you guys with. And, uh, this one, uh, it's, this is. I don't think we're going to get any closer to my heart. This is. This is. This is. Well, there's not going to be a better intro. There will never be a better television intro. There can't be. And uh, I think I don't want us to think of as peaking in the uh, late '80s, but I want us to think of it as a moment where humanity broke through all of the noise and touched the light, and that light was bright, and it shined. It shone. It shined. It shined for seven glorious, bold. Trekking years. See you on Friday, everybody. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no one has gone before. 